Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. It's a privilege to be standing behind this pulpit and to take this opportunity tonight to speak to you. How many believe uh, it's no accident? It's no accident that you're here. God has ordained for you to be sitting in the exact spot that you are sitting here tonight. I don't believe in coincidences because I believe in a providential God who is in control of all things. And I believe he's got a word for us to to hear tonight. Let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to return to a scripture that we've been looking at. For the last couple of weeks, we have a Sunday night series that you found yourself in the middle of. This is part three of a a sermon series that is titled, Defeating Your Ites. And uh, that title comes from the truth that God's people, as they came out of Egypt, God set them free, and He had a destination in mind for them. We call it the promised land. God had promised this land to them for generations, even going back to the father of our faith, Abraham. He promised that the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that they would have a place that they would end up, a good place, a great place. And that promised land was a wonderful place for them to go. But the truth we've been looking at is this. Anything of great value cannot be obtained without great cost. Anything of great value cannot be obtained without great cost. Do you believe that the promised land was a great value? It was a worthwhile place to live. But if the people of God were to live in that land and appreciate it and use it for God's glory, then they're going to have to pay a price. And that's exactly what we see in the Word of God, is that that land was fully occupied. I have a map that maybe we can put up on the screen there. The land that God had promised to them was a land that was occupied by so many other ites. The Canaanites, we've looked at the Hittites, Tonight we're going to look at another ite, the Amorites. They say that diamonds, how many of y'all got a diamond on your hand tonight? Maybe you can hold it up so everybody can see. If you have a diamond, that diamond did not come from nowhere. It didn't drop from the sky. A diamond is created through thousands of years of intense heat and pressure. This is also true in the kingdom of God. Things that are of great value take time and difficulty. There's no way around it. Everybody hates a spoiled brat. You know what a spoiled brat is. 
somebody who expects great things for nothing. A spoiled brat is the rich kid who gets the Ferrari from Papa and didn't pay a dime for it and then wrecks it six months later. You know why he wrecks it? Because he doesn't take care of it because he didn't pay a price for it. Anything of great value cannot be obtained without great cost. In the scripture we're going to read, we're going to read about the great value that God put in front of his people, the promised land. But it's so amazing to me that this land, now we can see the red line that you're seeing in the middle there is the path that the 12 spies took as they spied out the land. And when they went to spy out the land, they went from the south up to the north and back. And they noticed, of course, there was a lot of ites. There was a lot of ites between them and the promise that God gave to them. Let me say that about you tonight. I believe God has a promise for you. God has a destiny for you. God has a purpose for you. God has redemption for you. God has a plan in mind for your life. He didn't create you for nothing. He also didn't create you for your selfish purposes. He created you for His plan and His purpose. But my, my point tonight is that you will never reach your promised land unless you're willing to pull out the sword and defeat some of your ites. We're going to look at the Amorites tonight. Let's read this scripture from Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. God's speaking to His people. He says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and with honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Tonight we're going to look at the Amorites and examine what enemy this represents that we're going to have to defeat tonight. Let's pray. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord. We pray that you would use these truths, God, to inspire us and help us. We pray, God, that you would bring the victory against the enemies that stand against us tonight. Lord, that every person in this place would hear your voice. We thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Tonight we're looking at the Amorites, and I want to uh, title this sermon, The Mountain Word Giants. And you're going to figure that out here in a moment. The Mountain Word Giants. So who are the Amorites? A-M-O-R-I-T-E-S. The Amorites. These are people of the Bible that we should not get confused. There's another group of people called the Ammonites. These are not the same group of people. Ammonites were offspring of Lot and his daughters, an incestuous relationship. That is not who we're talking about this evening. The Amorites are a tribe of people, a nation that came from the lineage of Canaan. If you remember back to our first message, Canaan was the fourth son of of Ham, who was the son of, Abra- of uh, Noah. rather, Noah, who came out, out of the ark. There's only eight people who survived the flood. By the way, uh, be careful because God has the power to destroy. Yes, he does. He has the power to judge. That's why we need to serve him. Just ask Noah that there was an entire world of people that were destroyed because of sin. 
Eight people survived. One of them was the son of Noah, Ham. And Ham was a jerk. Go back to uh, the last sermon if you want to learn why. Um, And Ham had a, a son named Canaan. And from Canaan, Canaan received the brunt of the curse of what Ham did. And from Canaan came all of these ites. Alright, so one of the ites, Genesis 10, verse 15, Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn Heth, we looked at last week, the Hittites. And then verse 16, Jebusite, Amorite, and Girgashite. So again, uh, the Amorites are descended from Canaan. The Bible also tells us some interesting details about these people. These are people who were connected to the mountainous regions of Syria and northern Israel. So maybe you can look on this map. Uh, you're seeing the purple-ish color over here on the right side. That was the land of the Amorites. You also may see there's another area that the Amorites lived in down here near Beersheba. So the Amorites, uh, the, their strength, they found strength by living in the mountainous regions. They were people of the mountains. How many know that mountains have a certain strength to them? By positioning themselves in the mountainous regions, it means that they had a tactical advantage in warfare. It's always harder to fight when you're going up the mountain rather than going down the mountain. You always have an advantage if your enemy is below you, right? Ask Obi-Wan Kenobi. He had the high ground. Some Star Wars nerd got that. Uh, But who do they represent? Numbers 13, verse 29. The Amorites dwell in the mountains. Now, if you examine their name, which is what we've been doing, we've been taking each one of these enemies and breaking down the meaning of their name. The Amorites, if you look at it in the original language, it is a word that means the sayers, the boasters. The loudmouths. Any of you know any loudmouths in your life? Maybe you are the loudmouth. We'll pray for you before the service is over. Every family's got at least one loudmouth. The one who speaks and then thinks. You know, in life, you really do well if you would think first and then speak. But there are some people, like the Amorites, who are the loudmouths, the boasters, the sayers. They are using their words for evil. Now, I'm glad nobody in here does that. But there's one other thing we have to learn about them before we continue. They had a reason to be boasters. The Amorites, it's interesting, the Bible says that they were descendants of another group of people called the Rephaim. And if you know your Bible, if you are a scholar, you know that the Rephaim mean that they were giants. When the Bible says there were giants in the land, this was a group of people labeled the Rephaim. And the Rephaim became the Amorites. Now, if you had giants on your side, you'd probably be boastful too. If you had a group of people that were a lot bigger, one time I remember traveling, I've I've been to uh, Holland many times, And Holland is the land of the Rephaim. Man, they're all like seven-footers. They're really tall. Over there, I feel like I'm a short person. You know, if I go to the Philippines, I feel like a a white version of King Kong, you know. 
But if I go to Holland, I feel like a Filipino here in America. Man, I'm just like looking up at everybody. And, uh, and that's what it was like to be an Amorite. The Amorites were descendants of giants. In fact, the Bible describes two kings that were Amorite kings. And I want to give you their profiles. So that you can get an idea of the culture and the, the, how these people thought of themselves. The first one was a king named Sion in Numbers chapter 21. Sihon was a king of the Amorites, and uh, he ruled a city called Heshbon. This city and its king were so famous that there's even a song written about them in the Bible. Numbers chapter 21, verse 21 uh, the, the story goes that Israel is traveling. They're going, uh, they're, they're not wanting a fight. They don't want to kill anybody. They're just trying to pass through. And in Numbers chapter 21, it says that they sent messengers to this king, Sion. Verse 22 says, let us pass through your land. We will not turn aside. We will not drink water from your wells. We will go by the highway till we've passed through your territory. Oh, sounds like a pretty nice deal, right? We're just passing through. Would you allow us to go by? But look at Numbers 21, verse 23. King Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. What's his problem? What did they do? Sihon, he had big words. Sihon gathered all his people together. And went out against Israel in the wilderness. He came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. We're going to tell you the end of that story in just a moment. Before we go on, we have to also talk about another king of the Amorites. His name was Og. I like to call him O.G. And his name in the original language means long neck. So O.G. in Deuteronomy chapter 3 it says that we turned and went up the road to Bashan, and O.G., king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Edre. Verse 11, only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Listen, King Og still had that, that strain of DNA in his family that he was a giant. Listen to what it says about him in the Bible. It says his bedstead his bedstead was made of iron. Nine cubits is its length. You know what? how big his bed was? 14 feet long and 10 feet wide. Say, so that's a pretty nice bed. Man, this dude was Shaquille O'Neal plus a few inches. He thought he was a bad dude. He was OG. Joshua 12, verse 4 says about him, Og, who was king of Bashan, and his territory, he was remnant of the giants who dwell at Ashtaroth. There's one more interesting uh, encounter that Israel had with Amorites. And this is in Joshua chapter 10. After they crossed the river Jordan into the promised land and they're fighting on every side, the Bible says that there were five kings of the Amorites. They all ganged up on the people of God in this account. Five kings of the Amorites, there was king of Jerusalem, king of Hebron, king of Jarmuth, king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. All of them were Amorite kings, and they had lots to say. They gathered together, they went up their armies and camped before Gibeon, making war against it. 
And so we see that many times the people of God have an encounter with the Amorite people and Amorite kings. And who are these Amorites anyway? They're boasters. They got big words. They got foot in mouth disease. They got... They, have you ever met someone that their mouth writes checks that they can't cash? Maybe you know somebody that, that their mouth got them into fights. Usually fights begin with words, don't they? What did you say about my mama? Oh, no, you didn't. You better shut that trap. That's what it means to be an Amorite. But listen, if you're an Amorite, the reason you got big words is because you got big ego. Because you come from big lineage. We're the people of the giants. Didn't you hear about our king, OG? He's got a 14-foot bed. No wonder they had big words. For us, Amorites represent the enemy of boastful words spoken by giants. Okay, let's bring this down to our level tonight. Every one of us is going to have some enemies that speak evil against us. Every one of you, you've got a giant, there's a mountain giant in your life that has boastfully spoken words into your soul, words that can echo down through the generations, through the decades of your life that echo and ring in your ears, words that maybe you heard as a child, words that were spoken maybe by a childhood taunter, or maybe you were bullied, and there are words that fly. They say, uh, they say sticks and stones break your bones, but words will never hear you, hurt you. That's baloney. The most hurtful things that you can face in life. Listen, punch me in the face if you want. That pain is going to subside after a few days. But if you speak evil against me, can I tell you, those words, they can get into your soul. There are words that tear down. Words that can intimidate. Words that can destroy. Words that can paralyze. Especially when they're spoken by giants. Some of the words that can cause us to melt. You're a loser. You're a failure. You're unworthy. You'll never be worth anything. Maybe these are words that you've heard from people that you thought cared about you. You're worthless. Irredeemable. Contemptible. Waste of human flesh. We let words like that fly off of our lips and we don't understand the damage that they can cause. Some of you have been on the receiving end of words. That even though you exist day to day, you try to move forward, still those words echo in your mind. They seem to you to be truth because they were spoken by giants. And those words, can I tell you, the big mouth of the giant has only one purpose. To make you quit. To make you give up. To make you cower in fear. 
and make you walk away from what is rightfully yours. You know, uh, interesting to note that when Joshua and the people came into the promised land, we know that their first battle, the tithe battle, was the battle against Jericho, right? They marched around the city seven times, and on the seventh time around, they all shouted, and the Bible says God knocked those walls down, and they took the city. It was God's city. They weren't supposed to take the spoils. You remember the story. It's a great victory. Well, the second city that they faced was a little place called Ai. And the Bible tells us that the city of Ai was an Amorite city. And we see this account in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them saying, go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out this city called Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Joshua, no problem, bro. We got this. We just defeated Jericho. This place ain't nothing. And they said, Joshua, don't send a bunch of people up there. All we need is about two or 3,000 men. You don't need to send the whole army, just a small detachment to take the city. No big deal. The Bible says in verse 4, 3,000 men went up from there. But, listen, they fled before the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down 36 men, for they chased them from before the gates and struck them down. Therefore, listen carefully to the effect of this defeat. The hearts of the people melted and became like water. Boy, I want to tell you, there's, that, that's a very descriptive sentence that describes so many in churches across America. People who have hearts that are melted like water. People who almost, it seems like they can't stand for anything. Every time it seems there's a battle, they melt. They don't have the courage to stand strong. What about us tonight? The reason why Ai defeated them, it was an Amorite city. All they had to do is speak a few words boastfully. Giants said, get out of here, you worthless Jews. And they turn tail and run. You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought of another loudmouth giant from the Bible. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, there's a famous story of a loudmouth giant. He was not an Amorite, but he represents them pretty well. He was actually a Philistine. His name was Goliath. Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. But what's amazing to me about that story, the moment that somebody decided to fight, he was dead five minutes later. But for 40 days, the Bible says, 40 days, do you know what he did? Big old fat Goliath. He came down and sh- rattled his armor and shook his sword and his spear. And he's, the Bible tells us he was probably nine feet tall, right? He, he's, he's a bad dude. And he'd come down there, and all he would do, there's, a, there's one army lined up on one side of the valley, and God's army lined up on the other side, and he would just come down to the valley, and he'd shout, Hey, you losers! Send somebody down here to fight me. You can't win. Besides, your God is stupid. That's all he did. He came down there and spoke blasphemous words. 
And that's all it took. There's King Saul and all of his army. And guess what they're doing? Their hearts are melting before him. The moment somebody says, who does this dude think he is? The moment somebody runs out into the battlefield, guess what? He's on the ground in five seconds. See, we look at David and Goliath and we think, man, whoa, what a, what a hard battle that would be. You know, David ha- did not have a hard time with Goliath. He took five stones. It only took one. Bang, right between the eyes. He was gone. David pulled out his giant sword, chopped off his head. They don't tell that part in the Sunday school stories, do they? Took off his giant sword and took off his giant head and held it up and all of Israel cheered, right? Just like that. No problem. David said to himself, I've I've fought a bear. I've fought a lion. This guy's no tougher than those dudes. The moment somebody faced him, he was on the ground. But for 40 days, his boastful, blasphemous mouth was enough to make the people's hearts melt like water. Oh, I want to tell you, this is what words can do to God's people. This is what words from the enemy whispered into your ear. You're not worth anything. You couldn't serve God. You could never be righteous. You can't live like those people. Am I the only one that hears discouraging words like that? Am I the only one? The enemy tells me that, that, uh, that, you know, I'm not doing well enough. That I'm never going to make it. That it's always going to be a struggle. Might as well just give up. We're living in a generation where young people are falling in love with the idea of suicide. Suicide is up. 20 to 30 percent among people 20 years and younger. It's very concerning. And you know, so much of it is what we're talking about tonight. It's the evil words. This is especially painful among young ladies. You know, boys are not so much connected to words. We don't speak well. If boys get in a fight, we hit each other a few times and then we leave and it's over. But with girls, how many know? Because girls don't have the physical strength that boys do, what do they have? They have emotional strength. And they can tear another girl apart. It happens online. It happens on Facebook. It happens at school. And she begins to spread rumors about another girl. And pretty soon, there's a whisper in her head. Maybe what they're saying is true. Maybe I am nothing. Maybe it's better if I left this world. Words of the enemy that cause the heart to melt. But I want to tell you, the people of the Amorites are nothing but loud mouth giants. I want to close tonight by giving some good news. Good news about the Amorites. So I've given you Three accounts from the Bible. There was the two kings. One was named Sihon. The other one was named Og. And then there was another account of five kings, five Amorite kings that attacked God's people. 
And what I left out when I told you those stories, I left out the ending. And I did that on purpose. Because in the same way that it was almost not a fight at all, when David came and threw a rock at Goliath, there was no struggle. There was no difficulty. It was over in 30 seconds. And I want to tell you that in the same way, every battle that the Bible records that God's people came up against these Amorite people, it seems that they went down easily. Wow, Pastor, are you preaching a sermon that says it's not going to be hard to defeat the enemy? Well, this enemy is not as hard as we think. The good news about word giants is that the bigger they are, the harder they fall. What we need to realize is that the words that have been echoing in your head and that have been causing your heart to melt, if you'd simply face them, they'd be defeated. Sion, the king, put up a fight, but the Bible says he was defeated in less than a day. The battle was over, just like that. Og, you remember Og, OG, the one who had a 14-foot bed. He had a big game. He made a big noise. But let me tell you, by the time the day was over, so was he. In fact, these two battles, the battle against Sihon and the battle against Og the giant, they became so storied and so fabled in the history of God's people that they became songs and battle cries for future generations. We see one recorded in Psalm 135. You can read the whole thing, but just a couple selected verses. It says, Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, you servants of the Lord. For I know that the Lord is great. Our Lord is above all gods. How do we know that? Because He destroyed the firstborn of Egypt. He defeated many nations, including Sion, king of Amorites, Og, the king of Bashan, and the kingdoms of Canaan. Here's David. You know, the Psalms are actually songs. If we could hear them as they were originally written, they'd be, David would be playing on his guitar and he'd be singing out the lyrics, Yeah, we killed Sihon and we killed OG the giant. And what does that do? It gives them faith. It says that no matter what giant you're facing tonight, no matter what blasphemous words he's been whispering in your ears, If you just face him, then there's almost no battle to be had at all. As I was thinking about this truth, that these mountainous people, that they were giants with big mouths. You know, another scripture came to my mind as I was thinking about this. A scripture that is repeated three times in the gospel accounts. Matthew 21, verse 21 says... Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. Again, in Mark eleven twenty three, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. 
And again in Luke 17, 6, so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, as a poppy seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots, be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. I wonder if in the back of Jesus' mind as he's speaking about moving mountains, if he's thinking about the Amorites. In a way, we could say that the Israelites moved the mountain people. And you know how we know that? The last mention we have of the Amorites is in the book of Amos. Amos 2.10. It's, it's also a, a story of the victory that they had. But after that story, after that mention in the book of Amos, we never hear of the Amorites again. In fact, we, we know so very little about them outside of the Bible accounts. It's assumed that they either died out or they were absorbed into the culture of Israel. What can we learn from that? The mountain giants that were filled with evil words had been removed from their high places. As soon as they got any resistance, they were defeated. There's no record of long, difficult battles with the Amorites. And I want to give you this hope tonight. There are some people that there is a lie that keeps getting whispered in your ears. It's a lie that comes again and again and again. You're not worth anything. You're not worth anything. I want you to face that truth tonight. Is that true? What are you worth anyway? Well, my Bible says that Jesus came to die for the sinners, for the ungodly. You know what that tells me? You're not worthless. God puts a worth and a value on every human soul. What are you worth? You are worth the blood of Jesus. So you can face that giant that says those evil words. And as soon as you do, you embrace this truth. God says, I'm priceless. And that enemy has to be removed. When the enemy whispers in your ear, ah, you'll never be successful. Well, is that true? If you're living for God, it means you're already successful. You're a lot more successful than you used to be. You used to be on your way to hell because of your sins. But now, and yeah, you might not see everything you want to see, but listen, you're a child of God. What better experience could you have? God's, when the enemy says worthless, God says priceless. Thinking again about David and Goliath as we close. David was especially prepared to take down Goliath. Of all the people there that day, he was the one that was most well prepared. Because David was young, he was fast, he was accurate, and he was well prepared. Goliath had become heavy and slow. And the Bible even hints to us that he probably didn't have very good vision. 
David's chances were a lot better than we think. That battle that day, the odds were in David's favor from the beginning. But nobody else could see it. David ran out there. Goliath couldn't hardly even see him. And before he even swung a sword, he was on the ground. And I want to say to you tonight, there are giants that stand in your way. And they say blasphemous things. They curse God and they lie about you and your family and your future and your church and your God. But the odds are in our favor. The battle is not as hard as we think it might be. Jesus said, say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and it will obey you. That sounds pretty outlandish. But if there's a mountain of fear, a mountain of giant words, and you can speak to that and win the battle just like that. We do face many giants on our road to the promised land. But the good news tonight is that we can beat them. God has put it in our power. God said to Joshua, every place that you put your feet to tread, I have given to you as an inheritance. We're still going to have to battle. We're still going to have to face the enemy. God's not going to automatically give it to us by default. But I want to tell you, God is with us. And that ought to be encouraging to you tonight. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.